What a privilege to come and share with you today, and already the prayer of my heart has been answered in the fact that we would see Jesus in a whole new light, afresh and anew, and we've already sung about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My text for today comes uh, from a very familiar uh, passage of Scripture, but uh, It has to do with the disciples, the twelve, and Jesus gathering with them and uh, giving them some very wonderful promises. And uh, as I take a look at this, I have a question that uh, I've been asking myself, and perhaps you can ask along with this. If I were to ask you, why did Jesus come to this earth? I'm sure top on our list, and we've already sung about it, is that he came to be our Savior, to die for our sins, to forgive us. And so that part is so true. Yes, he did come. He died on that cross for you and for me, that we might have eternal life. And the first few verses from John chapter 1 reflect what he was speaking to his disciples. Now, I want you to think of them as... These 12. Now, if you're not careful, you just lump them all together. Same personalities, followers of Jesus. They all responded to the challenge, follow me, that Jesus gave them. Ah, but we're going to see some different personalities. Just as I look out today, uh, I can barely see you. The lights are so bright. But it would be a mistake on my part to think that uh, you're all the same. You're just listeners. You have the same journey, the same personality. We know that isn't true. And, uh, and, and, and so today, as we take a look at, at this passage of Scripture, I want you to think of the different personalities that are present. Now, I've used this Scripture many times, usually, especially when I was a hospice chaplain, reading it to uh, families, to patients, and uh, then at memorial services. You'll recognize these words. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. And trust also in me. This is Jesus talking. There's more than enough room in my father's house. If it were not so, I would have told you. Uh, if it were not so, I would have told you that, uh, that you I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready... I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Well, that was a nice promise. Only there's an interruption that comes when Jesus says, and you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going. How can we know the way? Now, I've often heard that this questioning disciple, I often heard him referred to as Thomas the Doubter, Doubting Thomas. Have you heard that before? Thomas the Doubter. Now, as I think through this, it's better to be a doubter than a non-believer. 
I hope we have some doubters here today. Doubters are not those who say, I refuse, and stick their fingers in their ears. Don't, 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 don't tell me anymore. I don't want to hear it. No, that, that's, that's, not, that's not Thomas. He's simply saying, honestly, and there's more than once where his doubts uh, just beg for, for more information. I want more. Tell me more. I'm, I'm having trouble, Jesus. You said some things that uh, I don't know what to do with. Tell me more. In fact, um, I want us to welcome Doubters so much that I'm going to propose that we change our church name to Doubters Church of the Nazarene. <laughs> doubters aren't those who refuse to believe. They just need more explanation in their journey of faith. So Jesus told him. Jesus didn't say it with anger or disgust as to the dullness of one of his followers. Just a further explanation. So as to fill in the the cracks of doubt. So uh, then... Another unique portion of this conversation takes place. We read it in verses 6 through 14. Jesus told him, that is Thomas, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Another personality is about to uh, make themselves present and accounted for. We've got these people in our, in our midst, too. Nothing wrong with it. Just an honest assessment of, of where they are. Philip. Philip said, show us the Father. Lord, show us the Father. And we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, that you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I speak are not my own, but the Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done. And even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I'll do it. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Three years have gone past, more than three, when this conversation takes place. Several of them, and this is going to be hard for many of you to believe, at least some of you to believe, they even gave up fishing to follow him. And there are many who uh, perhaps had a favorite pastime. I know it was a vocation for them. 
but it's something they enjoyed so much that they'd return to it later on when they were dealing with the loss of Jesus, thinking that he had been killed and there was no hope. They returned to their fishing. But there was something, there was something about Jesus that prompted them to even give up that which was a favorite activity in their lives. Not so different than some of us. Many of us, most of us have done. Why did they follow? Jesus would just come to them and say, follow me. And they'd do it. Now we've heard so much about the suffering servant. And we've read from uh, the scriptures, uh, Isaiah, I think it's 55, where Jesus wasn't even particularly good looking. And yet immediately they would follow him. And I, I, I was wondering, what was it? Was it his personality? I think so. I think Jesus had a winsome personality. Was it his command of the present? They just felt like, ah, here's someone I can follow. Was, was it his contagious enthusiasm for the things of God? I think so. He just said it. Follow me. And they did. And so here they are. They've been following Jesus for over three years. When Philip reveals some confusion. Confusion confusion as to what in the world Jesus meant in verse 7 when he said, If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him. And you've seen him. That's when Philip, in his personality coming out unique to himself, he says, Lord, show us the Father. Well, we don't, we don't see the Father. Where's the Father? Show us and we'll be satisfied. And then... Jesus simply replies. And again, I don't think it was like I would have done, kind of snotty-nosed and, oh, you rascal, why, why haven't you caught on? Duh. Did Jesus ever say duh? I, I don't think so. Patiently, tenderly, I think, he says to him, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. Jesus saying, I and the Father, we're one. Now, um, there's that question that we had, why did Jesus come to earth? Yes, Jesus explains in the promises, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Ah, heaven, eternal life. Yes, we understand that part. But there's a part here that they were missing, and I think oftentimes we miss it as well. Jesus was saying to these faithful followers, you need to see Father the way I see Father, Jesus was saying. His tenderness, his compassion. God is love, we read in Scripture, and Jesus is, is, is demonstrating that to these who have all these hang-ups and questions and doubts and, well, all the stuff that folk 
like you and me have as well. So why did he come? Well, he came to show the father heart of God to those people who, just like us, have come through their own journey, however it might be, whatever they've experienced. So Jesus desires his followers, even us today, to know the Father as he knew the Father. We were talking about it earlier today. Happy Father's Day at our prayer time this morning. And some said what we all know. Sometimes just to think about happy Father's Day doesn't compute. I think in order for it to do so, we need to quit looking through us earthly fathers up to God and look from God's perspective down to us earthly fathers as he's crying out within his heart, why aren't you more like me? A number of years ago, I can't remember much of the song except for the fact it was talking about my father's eyes. It's the only part I remember. But whoever was singing the song was saying that uh, they wanted to look like their father. Oh, we see that. We have the babies here. And, you know, here's a little bald baby with big round cheeks. And we say, oh, it looks just like his father. <laughs> Well, we want that to be especially true as people look upon us and look at our lives and the challenges and difficulties we might have come through. And they see the fingerprints of God all over us, all over our pain, all over our hurt, all over those things that perhaps we wish would not happen. I guess the question I'm asking today is, What is it in your past that blocks such an intimate relationship with a father that clouds your eyes as to seeing God as this tender-hearted father who compassionately has made the way for you and I to have eternal life, not only eternal life as we hope in the future, but abundant life in the here and now. Yes, there are those situations that have come into our lives that block our view of God. Oftentimes it's something in our relationship with our earthly fathers that colors our concept of God, especially as Abba. We're going to read in Scripture a little bit more about Abba, but that was the term that Jesus used as he prayed in the garden. Abba, Daddy. Can we see God in that perspective? Being the one we can trust in as our daddy. We've had stories given in recent weeks of people who have had a particular journey. Usually a story begins of uh, a troubled youth, a difficult situation, and they end up by saying, and I was that child. We heard that last week from Carlene. But my story is one that I just say, uh, here it is. I'm not happy about it. It's painful for me to share this with you. 
but uh, many of you have heard about uh, my testimony. Yes, I guess it would be a testimony of growing up in a home of a mentally ill mother. And uh, that colored my concept as whatever you've gone through, whatever might be true in your life. Now, I, I had a wonderful dad. I really did. Godly man. He worked in road construction. Gone all week. Home only on the weekends. Until that time when he realized, ah, I've got to do something to protect my boys. And, uh, and so we, uh, we bought a trailer when they really did. They trailed. And uh, through my childhood, I, just part of my journey, I didn't know this until my dad gave me my grade cards. 19 different grade schools and three different high schools. Uh, no, I would never vote as most popular kid likely to succeed. That's part of my journey. It colored who I was, who to trust in. I, I, I never had a, a, a best friend. And if you make a best friend, that'll be ripped apart. So I kept people at a distance. Worked real well until I got married. (laughs) And that's part of our journey. That's part of our story as well. My wife, she says, I need you to respond with more than one syllable grunt. Oh, you got a marriage like that too, huh? Well, not trusting, not, not knowing how to include people in, in relationship. That's what I grew up with. But it was to my dad that I aimed my anger. Wonderful man. And yet, I kept on saying in my heart, why did you stand up to mom? I can remember one incident especially. Her situation was known to the whole neighborhood as far as I was concerned. I was in school at Pasadena. And I'd come home for the weekend. I had already left, uh, moved to the dorms, just to no longer be a part of the drama in my home. I, uh, and let me just say, I'm revealing some things that I've had to ask God's forgiveness for. I want you to understand that. I don't want anybody to think, what a jerk. Well, you can think that, but uh, a forgiven jerk. And uh, so I'd come home, and what in the world? All over our front yard, clothes were strewn. What has my mom done now? And in a fit of jealous rage over something that perceived that she perceived that was really not true. She had taken everything that my dad had owned and just thrown out all over the lawn. And I, uh, I came home and saw that and knew that uh, there was going to be trouble as I entered into that, because I just wanted to respond. I just wanted to, to react. And before I could, my dad came home. And he quietly just picked everything up, put it in the back of his pickup, and he drove over to my sister's, Becky's, her home, just a few blocks away. And he always seemed to know when to come back. 
Now, this part bugged me, too. When he knew it was time, he would come home, and he would embrace my mom in his arms and just hug her. And I would fume. Dad, speak up. But Dad knows best. And he loved her. And as I look back on that, I thought, what a gift. What a gift for my dad to show me what it's like to really love, as Jesus said we're to love. To love the unlovely. To, to extend mercy and grace to those who perhaps no one else is going to extend mercy and grace to. But you've got your story. I've got my story. And as we take a look at those disciples, we dare not think the story was all the same. I don't know why Thomas had such doubts, what led to that. Perhaps it was childhood experiences. I don't know what it was going on in Philip's life that would him question everything. What's surprising to me that Peter didn't say anything. He was there, you know. Big mouth, weak knees. And then there's Judas. Sitting right there, hearing all these words. And Jesus saying, I want you to know about the Father heart of God. God loves you. God wants what is best for you. A number of years ago, a friend of mine, some of you might know him, Les Smith, Les and Debbie Smith, they worked at the college, I believe as dorm pop of Classen, if I remember right, early 2000s. But Les had gone uh, years before. He had resigned his church and bishop. He couldn't figure out why, but God said, I want you to resign. He did. He started driving truck, and he came across an old fishing village. And... Again, he said, I never experienced these voices thing in my life, but God seemed to impress upon me. I want you to buy this place. <laughs> he didn't have any money, but he knew that faith is action. So he went to a realtor friend of his and said, God wants me to buy this fishing village up in the Bishop area. The guy says, no way. God's been talking to me to buy it. Well, it became a, a base camp for YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Perhaps you've heard of Youth with a Mission. Some have already said, oh yeah, I've had a child who was with Youth with a Mission. But uh, years after he had gone with them, several years, uh, he happened to be up in Bellingham, Washington. And he called me, and he'd been my best man. I'd been at his wedding, uh, Alita and, and Debbie had been in each other's weddings. And, uh, and so uh, our lives just went different directions. And so Les called me up, and he was now with YWAM, <laughs> Youth with a Mission. And uh, he said, I'll, I'll preach for you if you want me to. Well, I'm not sure I wanted him to, because it was Mother's Day the next Sunday. Well, I said, sure, let's go ahead. It was phenomenal. I mean, he, all he did was preach, tell stories about Croatia and, and how God had called he and his family to Croatia, what God was doing. I mean, 
And I think he went a long time. I'm trying to match his sermon. I think it was 45, might be an hour. But uh, it was phenomenal. The people, and we, we weren't a big church, but they were sitting on the edge of their seats. They told story upon story upon story of God working in behalf of he and his family and just the miracles that they had seen in, uh, in the ministry that God led to them. But there was something that stuck in my mind as he was saying in our base camp. There became a problem they had with young people coming and they were saying, we want to be used of God. We want to be on mission. We want to, we want to serve God. And, and so, well, that was fine. That was good. But uh, early on, the leaders of YWAM discovered that there's a lot of broken people in this world. Go look in a mirror if you want to see one. And the thing that was missing in their lives is that they didn't understand the father heart of God, a merciful, gracious, loving father, extending to them an invitation to trust him, to believe in him, to see things from his perspective. Now, there's several other passages that uh, are important, and we're going to take a look at these as well right now and uh, just see what they said. But the first one begins to, to flesh out what Jesus was talking about when it comes to understanding this heart of God. It had to do with the fact that each of us can come to the place where we see Father as Abba. Is he in spite of the emotional baggage that we might have? In spite of those things that, that we have that cloud our, our understanding of God, as we begin to trust God and see him as Abba, Father, Daddy, it brings us to the place that Jesus was. You've seen the Father. See me as well. See the Father in me. Romans eight fifteen through 16 says, so you have, 15 and 16, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with a spirit, with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Have you ever called out to God as Abba? Daddy, Paul gave the same invitation in Galatians 4, verses 5 through 7. God sent him, Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Because we were his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Daddy, Papa, whatever it is that is a familiar, trusting response of a child. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you're a child, God has made you his heir. I don't know what it is that 
clouds your vision. That suggests to you that this isn't a happy Father's Day. And if we're talking about human dads, yeah, I understand. But I want you to take a look at the loving Heavenly Father. To trust his, his loving heart. The Father heart of God. Who had compassion on us who are weak and broken. Have all these hang-ups. These emotional needs. That he offers healing to. There's no shame in being who you are. That you've experienced what you've experienced. God said that to me. But he offers his healing. He offers to make us whole. So that we can be the people that we need to be to serve him. So my friend, Les Smith, said that they began teaching as one of their key courses, the Father Heart of God, to broken young people who they didn't know what to do about their concept of God because of their experience with Father, earthly Father. And they saw breakthrough after breakthrough as people came to understand and accept Abba, Father. Would you stand with me at this time and we're going to pray. We dare to say it because Jesus said we could. Abba, Father. Thank you for the healing that you offer to each one of us when there are things in our journey, our past, that cloud our vision of who you are, God. And if you need to say to the Father, help me, God. Help me see you with trusting eyes. Help me to see your loving heart. Would you pray that to the Lord right now? Thank you for your healing, the inner healing, that brings us to the place where we can just trust you Trust your heart for our good. As we sing Jesus, as we sing about Jesus, remind us that it's about the Father as well. Because Jesus said so. And we pray in his powerful name. Amen. Happy Father's Day.